and welcome to this ACE Oncocast. This podcast series is entitled Frequently Asked Questions on Clinical Practice in Urothelial Cancers. My name is Delith Eichermann and I am delighted to be joined today by a leading urothelial cancer expert, Dr. Enrique Grande from MD Anderson Cancer Center in Madrid, Spain. In today's ICE on Cocast, our clinical expert will be discussing the frequently asked question for first-line treatment decision-making. Dr. Grande, how do you define cisplatin platinum-eligible patients in the first-line setting? To treat our patients with cisplatin or carboplatin in the first-line metastatic urothelial carcinoma setting, we are using the traditional Galski criteria. These criteria are including the creatinine clearance, the performance status. These are the two most frequent factors that are conditioning the eligibility to receive cisplatin in daily practice. And on top of these two factors, well, neurotoxicity or at least neuropathy that may condition for neurotoxicity, um, hearing loss are also important. Of course, those patients, because of the need of high doses of liquids, those patients that cannot manage these doses, high doses of liquids because of the nephrotoxicity of cisplatin, uh, so those patients with cardiomyopathies are not good candidates to receive cisplatin in daily practice. Take into consideration the patient profile, the age of diagnosis of metastatic urothelial carcinoma in the range of 73 years old. What it means? It means that these guys, because most of them, three-fourths of the patients with metastatic urothelial carcinoma will be male, probably will have comorbidities associated that can also influence the treatment of choice that we want to use in the daily practice. What are the key findings from the Javelin Bladder 100 trial and what is the value of Avalumab first-line maintenance treatment? The Javelin Bladder 100 trial is a phase 3 pivotal trial that gave the approval for the first time of an immuno-oncology drugs, a PDL one combined like Avalumab, after induction chemotherapy for to 6 cycles as an upfront treatment in the maintenance therapy. What it means? It means that an impact in the overall survival of the patients with a hazard ratio of 0.7 was found, clear benefit in terms of preserving the quality of life of the patients, Avelumab is well tolerated, additional 10% of patients who responded to the maintenance or during the maintenance uh, therapy, but above overall uh, all of these data in terms of uh, efficacy, this is for the first time something that it is adding on top of the backbone therapy of chemotherapy that it is impacting in the overall survival. We don't need to forget that the overall survival has not moved since the early 90s, in which a phase 3 comparing cisplatin versus MBAC demonstrated for the first time to reach 12 months of survival. Since then, the data that we have barely improved these figures. In the Javelin Blood 100, in this pivotal registration phase 3 trial with Avelumab maintenance, the use of immunotherapy, Avelumab after the induction chemotherapy, it is impacting in the overall survival and we are almost doubling what we have. From 12 months, we now have a median survival in the intention to treat the population of 23.8 months. How do you view the risk benefits of Avelumab first line maintenance treatment? 
when we want to use Avelumab after induction chemotherapy for two six cycles, well, we we have a direct benefit. The direct benefit is the overall survival. This is the primary outcome of the study, but this is the primary goal that we are looking for in our clinic. The thing is, the benefit is only in terms of survival. I will try to go beyond. The benefit is psychological benefit. Before, when we didn't have anything to offer in the maintenance therapy, well, we got our patient exhausted of receiving chemotherapy. Exhausted because of the toxicity. And we couldn't go up to six, maybe seven, in some patients eight, maximum nine cycles of platinum-based chemo. We try to maximize, we try to squeeze the activity of the first line because there were no active options in the past. Taxanes were not that much active, vinflunin was not the ideal drug to offer. So we need to squeeze the options that we had. When we were using cisplatin or carboplatin in the first line and we needed to stop because of the toxicity, well, our patients got a little bit frustrated. Frustrated because they were asking, Okay, so doctor, what is now? And now it's just, okay, let's do a CT scan after three months and let's see what happens. Let's see when the tumor is going to progress, to grow up once again. And that was something disappointing for the patient. With the use of Abelumab, we are not only impacting in the survival, which is extremely useful, but also this is something very useful from the psychology perspective to the patients. The patient is feeling he's not abandoned by the doctor, by the oncologist in this setting. So this is something that it is contributing to the, well, uh, self-perception of the patient that he's still care, he's still on treatment. How do you assess the newly released data from this ESMO Congress regarding the new treatment options for first-line treatment? At this ESMO 2023, there were two phase three trials presented at the presidential session. One of them is completely a practice change in the EV302. EV302 is setting the bar, is elevating the bar of the activity that we can see in our patients with metastatic urothelial carcinoma. The combination of enfortumab plus pembrolizumab, when compared with chemotherapy, and 30% of the patients also receive available maintenance, did clearly impact in the overall survival. Median overall survival for the combination of EV Pembro was 31.5 months, that compared favorably with the median overall survival of only 16 months in the standard comparator arm. The hazard ratio for survival was 0.47. I think this is practice changing. On top of that, there was an improvement in the progression-free survival, hazard ratio 0.45, and also in terms of responses, 76, 67, sorry, 67% of the patients achieved an overall response rate, including 29% of the patients with a complete radiological response. These responses were durable. In fact, after a median follow-up time of 17 months, the median duration of response was not achieved. What is the, well, what should we take into consideration coming to the daily practice or trying to translate this data into daily practice? Activity is awesome. I think we all were surprised about the activity of the combination of EB-Pembro. However, I have two concerns. 
not about the toxicity, safety profile, particularly neurotoxicity and skin toxicity, were higher, or at least were higher than we want. We need to, well, we will have to learn how to deal with the toxicity. We will need to learn how to educate our patients in order to try to prevent the appearance of these toxicities, but definitely toxicity profile should be balanced with the activity. The second thing that I think it should merit to take into consideration is the cost. The cost of uh, the financial toxicity associated to the use of both enfortumabedotin and pembro is very high. Uh, I don't know about your countries, but at least in a country like Spain, it's going to be hard to negotiate the price of these two drugs. Um, well, let's see. Let's see uh, who can afford to pay for this novel combination. The second phase three trial that was presented at the presidential session was the Checkmate 901. Particularly, this is a sub-study of the Checkmate 901 because we have two studies. The main study, nivolumab pipilimumab versus platinum-based chemo, including both eligible and ineligible for cisplatin patient population. We know from a press release that this is negative, so nivolumapipilimumab is not impacting the overall survival in the pdl one positive subgroups. These data were not presented at ESMO, but it was presented this sub-study. The sub-study was conducted in patients eligible to receive cisplatin, and they were randomized to receive cisplatin gemcirabine as the standard of care, or cisplatin gemcirabine plus nivolumab followed by nivolumab maintenance after up to six cycles of chemotherapy. The trial was positive for the primary outcome of survival, so the combination of cisplatin gemcirabine and nivolumab impact in overall survival. However, the hazard ratio was 0.78, and the median survival was in the range of 21 months. These data, they are impressive, they are very good, however, not that much impressive as the EB302 data, in which the median survival was, instead of 21 months, was up to 31 months, and the hazard ratio for survival was 0.78 in the Chemin 901 versus 0.47 in the EB302. So, of course, this is unfair to compare trials, but I think the general feeling, the overall feeling about that is that maybe EB Pembro will become the reference standard of care, and unfortunately, a cisplatin gemcirabine nivolumab will not reach the market, or at least will not reach um, the same robustness uh, to be considered in daily practice. Is it still crucial for clinicians to identify cisplatin platinum eligible patients before initiating first line treatment in daily practice? Well, the uh, use of Galski criteria to define the eligibility to cisplatin or not are traditionally performed in this scenario for, for decades. However, now we have new drugs, new tools, and we don't need only to identify patients eligible for cisplatin. We need to identify patients eligible for any platinum, including carboplatin. And this is the place for the what we call the Gupta criteria. Gupta criteria were still waiting for the final publication, but they are considering patients with a deteriorated performance status, with a creatinine clearance function of less than uh, 30 milliliters minute, and also, of course, hearing loss, uh, neuropathy, or um, uh, factors that are affecting to the, to the function of the heart, like myocardiopathy. So if you 
use the criteria from Gupta, uh, that is fine. However, in daily practice, we are using the common sense. The common sense in this, in, in, in a way that, well, what is the the patient that I have in front of mine in my office? Is the patient able to tolerate carboplatin? If the patient is able to tolerate carboplatin, I think the standard of care so far is carboplatin, gemcitamine, followed by abeluma maintenance. However, there is also the option for those patients ineligible for cisplatin, but eligible to receive at least carboplatin, particularly if they are expressing PDL1, to go for single agent IO, single agent pembrolizumab, single agent atezolizumab in this setting. Of course, what can we give to our patients that are not eligible even for carboplatin? They are platinum ineligible, no matter if you are following the Gupta criteria or your common sense, as I mentioned before. Well, we have the approval by, of pembrolizumab by the FDA in which patients ineligible for any platinum, regardless of the special of PD-1, can receive this treatment. So this is how we, in the daily practice, are classifying patients. Patients eligible for cisplatin, patients eligible at least for carboplatin, and patients ineligible for any platinum-based chemotherapy. And we can adapt, we can make it match the options that we have. What factors should influence the choice between carboplatin-based chemotherapy followed by avalumab maintenance or enfortumab-vedotin plus pembrolizumab in cisplatin-ineligible patients? According to the current FDA guidelines, well, enfortumab-vedotin is an option for patients ineligible to receive cisplatin. That's a good option to have. This is an active option. It was approved because of two phase one, two trials showing um, a good efficacy, at least in terms of responses. In between 63 and 70 something percent of the patients responded in the first line, despite being ineligible to receive cisplatin. The thing is, what is the main reason? because the patient is ineligible for cisplatin. Because according to the Galski criteria, one of the criteria is to have medical records or medical history of a neuropathy. Those patients with neuropathy, they are not good candidates to receive enfortumabedotin because of the um, potential uh, toxicity based on the neurotoxicity induced by enfortumabedotin. Otherwise, hyperglycemia, or the toxicity related to enfortumabedotin, or a skin rash could be limiting factors. So patients with skin alterations or patients with uncontrolled diabetes, well, they are not good candidates to receive enfortumabedotin. Uh, those patients without or, or with these uh, comorbidities may receive carbo gemcitamine if they are eligible, if we are considering they are eligible for uh, at least uh, to receive carbo according to Gupta criteria. So this is what we can use in daily practice. Of course, there is one elephant in the room, and the elephant in the, is the, in the room is the cost of the medication. Carboplatin, gemcitabine, they are both uh, agents with generics, so they are relatively cheap, so nothing to compare with the expensive cost of the combination of enfortumabedotin plus pembrolizumab in this setting. How do you balance the efficacy and safety profiles for the new treatment options compared with current standard of care? Well, after the results of the ESMO 2023 data, we just saw, uh, we have a, probably a new standard of care in Fortumabedotin plus pembrolizumab. However, 
because of the cost, because of the access, uh, it will take long to replace the current standard of care chemotherapy as induction followed by abeloma maintenance. On top of the uh, cost issues, well, I would say that there are some patients, those patients with neuropathy, those patients with uncontrolled diabetes, those patients with, uh, well, other comorbidities involving the skin, in which, well, you may think that probably the use of enfortumab could be very toxic, I think there is still a room for the use of chemotherapy upfront followed by abeloma maintenance in this scenario. But definitely, new standard of care has changed, guidelines will be updated accordingly, and we are living, we are entering into a new era in the field of the treatment of metastatic urothelial carcinoma. Thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for the last episode in this series as we discuss the frequently asked questions for second-line and salvage treatments. Music